Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, welcome to another segment of the Brown Sugar and Spice Show. I'm your host, Dr. Faith, and we will be discussing tonight. Sorry about that little hiccup. Discussing tonight microaggressions. And for those of you who don't know what that is, so the formal definition of that is the causal degradation of any marginalized group, which was coined by a psychiatrist from Harvard University, Chester M. Pierce, back in 1970. But in layman's terms, basically, it's just very subtle racism that you can't really call someone out on or some shade, you know, and really address the situation because it's kind of like in that gray area and a soft border. But tonight we're going to be talking to Mr. Adrian Perkins. He is a very gifted young black male who is studying law at the Harvard University, who was just recently elected uh, the student body president there. So big congrats to him. He basically is a triple threat, and we're going to be talking about his rise, to getting to law school, his aspirations to be a politician, also just many just racism and microaggressions that he faced as a young black male at a prestigious university. Since most people tend to think that, you know, racism only really kind of exists in the South um, and also may not be present at prestigious universities like the Ivy League. So without further ado, let me bring in my guest, Mr. Adrian Perkins. AP, what's up? How you up? doing, Janice? Good. What's How are up? you? I'm good. I'm really good. Thanks for the opportunity as well to uh, come and chat with you. No problem. No problem. How's life in Boston? Uh, it's good. So we've had like two days of warm weather, so everybody is much better than like over the last couple months. <laughs> A little seasonal effect of disorder going on up there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, no, I'm just trying to take in the sun and um, ride high off the wind that you just referenced earlier. Cool, cool. So, um, I always like to start my shows with a brief introduction. So, can you tell my listeners out there where you're from and how did you get to Harvard Law? I mean, that's a really big deal. All right. I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana. Proud of it, actually. I don't think anybody can meet me and not know that it was in the first five minutes. Uh, so from Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, ran track in high school, got the opportunity to go to West Point uh, to run track there as well. At West Point, I broke three school records at West Point, so it was pretty good at it. I was um, voted to be the track team captain for my senior year and actually was the first African-American to be the class president at West Point. Um, while I was there, 
after graduation in 2008, I went to the Army where I served uh, tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I got to a decision around my fifth, sixth year in the Army on whether or not I wanted to make it a career or uh, choose another path. So I applied to law school, and luckily Harvard took me. Um, so that brought me here. Big props, big props. Okay, I always represent Gulf Coast, so big up to that. You know, I'm also very, <laughs> yeah. I'm also very passionate and slightly biased to my uh, my fellow track athletes. So again, on the school records as well. So, how is it being a black man from the south, or hell, just a black man in general at Harvard Law? You realize that, <laughs> like, they produce presidents of the United States, so that's a really big deal. <laughs> Yeah, so um, it's interesting being a black man here. It's first of all, you're you're in the minority. Um, even out of the African American students, we have about ten percent. But um, I think the men are maybe thirty percent of the thirty to forty percent of the black population here. So being a black man makes me like a minority within a minority. Um, and then being from the south makes me even more of a minority. It's just not many people from the Gulf Coast here. So, uh, you know, if you think about it in terms of that, you can kind of feel a bit isolated and lonely, but, I mean, you create your circle. So uh, I think I've created a really good circle of friends here, a lot of people I can trust, um, and it looks out for, look out for me. So you insulate yourself from the, the craziness. You know how we uh, can build walls to protect ourselves when we're in foreign places. You, I mean, you, you went to Stanford. You know how it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a unique experience from the deep south going to, you know, a, a different region of the country and going to, you know, high-powered schools with high-powered students. So how has that adjustment been for you? Um, so the adjustment actually wasn't that bad this time around. Um, the bigger adjustment was when I went from Louisiana to West Point. I was 17 years old, um, you know, lived at home with, with my mom and my brothers forever. And I went like 1,400 miles to the Northeast, and I was by myself, didn't know anybody, um, and had to adjust to not just the weather, but the cultural changes and everything else. So uh, that was the big adjustment. This one wasn't too bad. Uh, you know, once I was at West Point and then I was in the military and I moved around all the time, you get used to going and you get used to moving into different circles. So coming to this circle was just another environment for me to adjust to. Okay. So let, let's get to the meat of the conversation. So, you know, yeah, let's I had a very limited experience in Boston. Um, I will admit mm-hmm. that. But based on, you know, what I've heard from other people, it can be a pretty racist place to be for a black person. And I know people always think of segregation and they think of that primarily in the South. But from what I hear, Boston is pretty segregated itself. So do you feel like it's kind of like very similar to home or it's more segregated or more liberal than home? So I can always speak of my personal experiences here, um, but I've heard, you know, everything that you're saying, I've heard that as well. But I've been fortunate in my personal experiences not to experience anything like I experienced uh, back at home. Um, and also I'm like in Cambridge um, across the river from Boston most of the time. So that's where the law school is located. And Cambridge is, you know, it's like Harvard owns multiple complexes around here. So most of the people around here are students. There's a lot of other universities as well. So it's a much more, like, liberal, progressive environment. So, you you know, I'm 
less likely to encounter the craziness uh, from the areas that I'm in. So I have not experienced it personally, but I am, you know, I'm absolutely not going to, like, invalidate the other experiences of people here. Um, and then when I go out into Boston, I can, you know, I can see the segregation. You really don't see too many of um, our faces around certain areas. And you see a lot of our faces in other areas. Okay, so let me ask you this. Okay, so you're kind of isolated, you know, you're around like-minded people most of the time because, of course, you're a law student who's very busy studying. Do you feel like you've encountered some racism or, shall I say from my list, some shade that's kind of been thrown your way with back question like, wait, did that just happen or am I a mad? I get, you know, I I think my background is a bit intimidating to some to some students, so I really don't get the the crazy remarks. Um, I really personally haven't gotten them, but a lot of my friends absolutely have. And you know, it's that that old black saying, like, I wish somebody would. Uh, yeah. Like I'm like waiting on the encounter. I'm absolutely bracing myself for it. But really, you know, I you know, I, and maybe like the elections. You know, this is my third election here that I've won. Uh, maybe I am like walking in some exceptional territory right now where, you know, I haven't personally experienced it. But uh, no, I just haven't been tried yet. Um, but I, but you better believe I'm I'm prepared when that that, that uh, time arises. So let me ask you this. So you you mentioned earlier that you've had some classmates I experienced you know, some microaggressions or AKA racism shade or whatever, however you want to call it. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. do you mind sharing some of those experiences without divulging too much of their identity? Yeah, no, of course. Um, like last year, our first year here, one of my classmates um, overheard another classmate use the N word, um, you know, like in a joking manner under his breath. And then when she asked him to clarify it, he just like, he said he didn't say it, but multiple people heard it. Um, and then he apologized for it later, so clearly he did say it. Um, and that was just like at a party, but it took the my black classmate to correct him when, you know, other my other um, students were around and nobody else said anything about it. So you can only speculate that, you know, that person has probably used the word before um, or their friends around them have used the word before and nobody has ever said anything. So yeah, no, it's trust me. I mean, you know, me me talking about my personal experiences again. I'm not invalidating the fact that it exists here at all because it's here. But again, I guess people just just uh you know check themselves whenever they're around me. Cool, cool. Also, let me let me ask you this: Do you do you find yourself like? I mean, I don't know the the racial composition of your class, but do you find yourself like because you know you are a minority, and as you spoke about earlier, you are a double minority. Do you find yourself, you know, gravitating to people who look like you, and is that even beneficial, or is it encouraged that, hey, you should probably get to know all of your classmates? Uh, I've, since I've gotten here, I've absolutely tried my best to get to know all of my classmates. Uh, we have a Black Law Students Association here um, that's kind of a, a force and function for people that look like me for us to convene and have fun and get together. Um, so this year I was a committee chair for our leadership and mentoring program where I went and mentored high school officers, what we call it. Bossa is just like one of those safe spaces when things are getting a little crazy. I'm not sure. Did you hear about the black tape incident that happened here last year? Uh, no, but you tell. So last year, um, I think it was first semester, Someone went around our hall. Our tenure professors 
photographs are on the walls in our hallways. And someone went and put black tape over all the faces of the black professors. So that is the most tense environment that I've been in since I've been here. And um, obviously the black students were extremely sensitive about that, especially when you think about our our nation's history with school violence and all that other stuff. Um, so Boston was absolutely a safe haven at that time. That was a space that we all went to, we hung out together, uh, we talked about how we felt. Um, so Boston not only comes, you know, into play when, like during normal times, but also during times of trauma, it's really good to have it as a space you can go to and talk. So that's one of those times that it's comforting. But overall, I've absolutely tried to take advantage of getting to know all my classmates, like on a regular basis. Okay. And during that during that black tape incident, what was how did your white classmates respond to that? The empathy, apathy, like their response. It was so. You know what? There were a lot of very vocal uh, white classmates. A lot of empathy being shown, um, and we would have community meetings. But what I did notice about the community meetings is that. Uh, we had a study session during, I think, the second or third community meeting, and I did notice that maybe 10%, maybe 15% of the students actually went to the community meeting to talk about the black tape incident. This are, these are the white students. Um, and they, uh, you know I mean, so 85% chose to stay in that classroom. Uh, and that, you know, that definitely made me think some things about it because they had the luxury to ignore it or not think about it or not go to that community meeting. Uh, meanwhile, you know, if you're a student of color, like, you're concerned about your safety, you're concerned about your place at Harvard Law School, your place in the world, considering the fact that you can make it to Harvard Law School and still feel under threat. So that was that was a bit disturbing to me. But um, overall, you know what I mean, just, like, talking to students about it, I, I absolutely felt that they, you know, sympathized with us. Okay. So, all right, for all my listeners out there, the phone number to call in and ask Mr. Perkins some questions is 323-642-1753. We'd love to call, uh, for you to call in and join the conversation or just ask us some questions if you're interested. So, um, you know, talked about the microaggressions and racism, but let's talk about the support um, that's offered to black students who are attending predominantly white institutions. Does Harvard Law have special programs in place to support minority students, or it's kind of like get in where you fit in, figure it out, you're smart enough to get here, deal with it? Um, so we have black law students, as I mentioned, and black law students actually host a lot of events for black students. And uh, some of our other affinity groups host events as well for law firms and other people hiring minorities. Um, so we have a few things here, um, but primarily it's, you know, just, hey, off your marriage, kind of get in where you fit in or whatever industry you're trying to go to, uh, anything outside of the organization's hosting things for minorities. The school itself, think of any, like, functions that the school hosts itself for specifically minorities, just to, you know, the general body. Okay. How's the dating scene for um, black officers? <laughs> I mean, I'm just keeping it real. I mean, you're very busy. You're studying. You are a minority. So yeah. what's that like? I'm curious to know. Oh, I'm trying to think about it. So there is a couple of law students dating other law students, but I would definitely say they are in the minority. Um, 
even with, even when you think about the numbers I told you earlier that it's like 70% women here and like 30% men or so, it's just really, I don't know. I guess you kind of feel like it's too close to home. Um, our black law students community is really small, so maybe law students are just focusing on studies and don't want to, you know. Rock the boat. Don't want to date too close to too close to the family. Understood. Understood. All right, we're going to shift focus, people. going to talk about, you know, your aspirations. Like, you know, of okay. course, you know, I've seen on Facebook, you know, you, you're very active back home in Louisiana. Um, are there any political aspirations, you know, as far as, you know, state government, national government, or, you know, maybe one day in the future will we see you um, up for a presidential bid? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so I get this question a lot, as I'm sure – uh, you 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 might presume. I don't when I when I think about politics, I really don't think of it as something where I'm like, oh, I aspire to be, you know, position A or position B, like mayor or senator or whatever. I really think it's because so many things that have to align to be in politics. I really think it would be a calling. So, you know, for instance, if some supporters, you know, if enough of supporters are like, hey, Adrian, you should do this. And I looked at the landscape, and it worked out. Then I would absolutely dive in because at the end of the day, I look at it as service, and I do want to go back to serve my community. So if politics is the way I can most effectively do it, then I'm all about it. And that can be, you know, that can be anywhere from the city level to the state level. Um, you, I think you need humility going into it, and you know, I'm actually, I'm absolutely humble, and will take whatever I think I can most effectively support my community, whatever position I can most effectively support my community. Is there any particular area of um, that you're interested in or that stands out to you at this point in your career? Um, so it's weird. so I'm working with my city right now on some technology initiatives. I worked at the state government level this summer. I worked as a policy uh, intern with the governor. So I've seen city and state, and, I mean, I would be happy to help in either, you know, either area. Uh, wherever I can, wherever my my skill set, my narrative, my energies could most effectively help, and I'm I'm all about it. Like I said, I'm not. I I just think it would be selfish of me to say, oh, I want to do this, or I want to do that, because service isn't really about convenience. It's about you know where you can uh, have the biggest impact. So I'll take whatever. Awesome sauce. Awesome sauce. Do most people um, do they want to be public servants? I guess I don't know. Maybe kind of naturally steers people in that direction or do they large firms? How what's the breakdown of like the graduates for Harvard? Oh large firms by far are the are where most Harvard graduates go after graduation. Uh and it's for you know, a litany of reasons. They they have a lot of debt from school so they're like, hey I need to go to this firm and pay pay stuff off. But even the students who come in and like, oh I'm gonna do public service afterwards um, we call it public interest here. Even if they come in and say, oh, I'm going to do it afterwards. The firms, like, really court us um, while we're here. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, they're thinking about debt and thinking about a lot of experience, et cetera. So even the ones who come in thinking public service typically go to a firm for a couple of years and then go off to do, you know, the public service that they originally intended. Very few students here go straight into the public sector. Cool, cool. So let me, let me ask you this question. For for my listeners out there who may be on the fence or in, 
um, preparing to go to law school, they've already like if they are aspiring to go to a school like Harvard, do you have any advice for them? Because some people may doubt themselves, and their biggest fear really, you know, is their inadequacies. Like, mm-hmm. how do you like prepare yourself? Uh, for that process, because I honestly have no idea how that process works. <laughs> well, I think you hinted at it, and I'm pretty sure you experienced this as well, and, and you know, minorities experience this with, with medical school and any top-tier program is the the fact that you're going to doubt yourself. You know, a lot of times in our life, you grow up, like I grew up, you know, single mom home in Louisiana, uh, and people just tell you, oh, you're not going to amount to much. You know, people don't expect much out of you. So when you get that, when your condition over and over and over again to just not think you're qualified and not think you're enough, uh, then that's going to play out subconsciously, and it's going to play out when you're applying to undergrad or law school or med school, and I think Harvard is no different. So I tell anybody applying to Harvard, do not, you know, like shoot for the stars with applications. Like if you apply, you know, the admissions office will make the call on whether or not you're good enough, but if you don't apply, then you're making the call. And you just shouldn't, you know, you got enough against you. You shouldn't be your own worst enemy in that case. So, absolutely, shoot for the stars. Aspire to be as great as you possibly can be. And if you want to come to Harvard, work your butt off and apply. We'd love to have you. We need more uh, black students here. And my my last question, and then we can wrap it up. Is there, like, a pipeline or a program that uh, maybe the school has taken an initiative or just in general the black alumni to get more young, black, gifted is what I like to call triple threats to these type of institutions so that they may become public service or work for a large firm, whatever their desires may be, to get them to these programs. Because I feel like people think, like, oh, you have to have a certain score or you have to have this perfect perfect application, and sometimes that's not always the case. And I feel like people just don't have the information that they need to steer them in the right direction to getting there. Yeah, so the answer to that is twofold. So actually, firms have a program, uh, a lot of private firms have a program called SEO. They bring in minorities the summer and the year before they actually start law school to work at the firm. And being a part of the SEO program makes you a lot more marketable for law school. So that helps out minorities as well, and it's targeted to minorities. Um, As far as the, the second tier, our school has a very comprehensive admissions process. So they're not just going to look at SAT. I mean, I'm sorry. They're not just going to look at the LSAT. They're not just going to look at your GPA. They're not just going to look at leadership. They're going to look at all of it. They're going to look at your story. So a lot of people get wrapped up with numbers. And I know so many people with like lower numbers than others that got into Harvard. And I know people with perfect scores that didn't get into Harvard. So just do not get wrapped up around numbers. Like your story being a minority absolutely contributes to who you are as an applicant and makes you more marketable. Um, you know, but again, don't use that as a crutch, like work your butt off. It'll absolutely help you in the long run. It's a part of who you are and it's going to be a part of your package. Absolutely. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I'm pretty oh, thank sure you have a meeting or Congrats. some meeting or some obligation that you have. <laughs> Um, if you could tell my listeners out there, you know, if you have a Twitter handle or there's an organization that you, you probably support or a Facebook page that you can be found at, I'd be greatly appreciated. Just in case some young black male or female out there has aspirations to become a lawyer and wants to attend Harvard. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Hit me up at any time on Facebook. I'm at Adrian, A-D-R-I-A-N-P on Facebook. Or you can just shoot me an email at um, adrian.perkins at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to help any of your listeners with um, any questions about law school or uh, public service or any of it. All right. Well, thanks. You heard it, folks. He's available by email and Facebook. So if you have aspirations, know someone has aspirations, don't be afraid to reach out. We always lift as, lift as we climb here at Brown Sugar and Spice. So, again, Mr. Parkins, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you, Janice. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Woo, that was a great show. I'm always interested in uplifting my community and my people and negating some of the stereotypes that we must be perfectionists in order to achieve our goals, which obviously that is not the case. Some of us, just, you know, we just have to work really hard. So once again, to all my listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in to the show tonight, Brown Sugar and PWI. We will be coming back on on April 27th with a Q&A with friends, Mr. Mr. Anthony Kimball, who went to Stanford with me. We're going to be talking about real estate and protecting our communities from gentrification. So on that note, peace. Have a good night, people. Goodbye. Life is like a baby.